scary basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including skateboard ghouls, void demons, and living books with teeth. I'm Mikey McCaller. <coughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm Roxy Polk. Jesus, Roxy, what happened to you? Mikey, dear listeners, as I mentioned at the end of last week's show, I've been here in the scary basement since last week, but Mikey just got here. Yeah, Roxy, I gotta say, I thought you were kidding when you said you were going to stay here and look for clues. You always say stuff like that. Anyway, did you dress up in a rotting Dracula cloak and demon goat horns? Oh, yeah. You know, I had to look like a monster to exist around the monsters. Anyhow, I searched through the scary basement and I found a lot of evidence of the before people. I have literally been waiting tens of episodes for this. What did you find out? Before we were conned into our pact with the demon bot, there were two others. Our forebears who weathered the depths of this accursed place and braved its haunted halls. They had been tempted with secrets of the arcane and the unknown, as well as promised riches and wonders beyond human imagining. But the second they died, their souls would be forfeit to the Dark One. But they got offered such cool stuff, I mean, like, how could they not say yes? Hey, we never got offered cool stuff like that. That's what I said! Like, come on, how is it fair that all we get is a chance to avoid soul death every week? That's not even a cool thing, it's just the status quo. Anyway... In 1992, the Before People made the pact, but the Dark Ones left in a secret clause. In order to keep all those riches, every week they'd need to check out a horror movie from the blockbuster in hell and review it on their radio show. The Dark One was hoping to scare them to death so he could get their souls early. Uh-huh. So can we trade our souls for riches and wonders beyond human imagining right now? Wait, Mikey, that wasn't the point of my story. You, you know, in fact, I didn't even tell enough of it for it to have a point yet. Can I please keep going so I can tell you about- They had a radio show, Roxy. I mean, I know our podcast is kind of like a radio show, but it's not the same. A radio show in the 90s was a big deal. You watched Frasier. You get it. Mikey. We need to up the ante. We can't lose out to these before people, all right? We need to do something cooler than a radio show. We need to make our own iTunes. Uh, how would we even... What does that even mean? Or we have to make a movie. Or maybe even a smash hit TV show. It has to be a smash hit and not just a regular show. Or, here, let me pitch you this. What if we capture the hearts and minds of all the demons down here and lord ourselves over them as higher demons and then we make them make us a hit TV show? Because I don't know if you know how hard it is to make a TV show. There's a lot of moving parts, and we do not have the money to hire a crew. So we have to enslave the creatures down here and have them do our bidding. There's just no other way. Plus, I bet when we enslave the demon bot, he'll make a great gaffer or maybe a good best boy. Mikey and Roxy, did you watch this week's film Annihilation? Um. (laughs) (laughs) What? Why are you looking at me like that? Just out of curiosity, did you happen to hear what I just said? Do you think I spend all my time listening to the things you mortals prattle on about? Especially after last week when you made fun of my outfit. Did you watch the film? Yes, I did. I absolutely did, and I also am not planning to turn you, DemonBot, into a gaffer or a best boy. What? Yeah, I watched the movie. I was just saying to Roxy how I watched the movie. Yep, he was just saying how much he watched this movie. Boy, did he watch the movie. Okay, well then, you may keep your souls. For now. Great! Great! By the way, Roxy, you look different. Did you get a haircut? No, I've always had these demon goat horns. I can't believe you've never noticed. Ah, I see. Well then, go ahead and recap the movie and figure out what part represents grief or trauma or Campbell's monomath or whatever it is you do. There he goes. Okay. I don't think he heard, so I think we're probably okay, Mikey. Um, I think we're okay. We should let let that go. Yeah, let's just... uh, (laughs) I I feel bad. He's really... He has low self-esteem, the demon bot does. Yeah, I think we gotta maybe... I don't know, maybe we should do something nice for him one of these days. Mm Mm-hmm. But so anyway, how about we talk to the uh, scariest thing that happened to us this week, Mikey? So Mikey, what went down in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you to your very bones? 
Roxy, I watched a Netflix documentary called Our Father. Have you heard about this? No, I have not. What is that? It is the real life story about a fertility doctor who was active in the what 70s, 80s, maybe even 90s, who was impregnating his patients with his own sperm. Oh my God, I think I remember hearing about this. They did a documentary about it. Uh, Yikes. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, um, the documentary does a very funny thing where they keep going like, he sat us down and he promised us there were no more than 14. And then they have like a running counter where it's like, siblings number and then it goes up to like 24 (laughs) and like as they're doing 23 and me they are finding more and more of them so first of all it's incredibly fucked up and reprehensible but the truly scariest part of it was that there was no law against this for real so this guy like couldn't be prosecuted yeah it's just like it's it's a very it's like an air bud thing it's just like there's no rule in the rule book that says you can't put your sperm in the sperm of women (laughs) who want other people's sperms like it's Truly insane. Indianapolis, where uh, he was practicing, is now the only state that has a law against this. But nothing federal. (laughs) This is a legal thing. As heinous as this is, I can't get past the fact that you used (laughs) Airbud. Similarity to the the Airbud rule. Nothing says dog can't play, so dog can play. That's... that's that's the Airbud rule, you know? There's nothing in the rule book that says you can't commit one of the most horrible crimes I can think of. Dear God. Roxy, what was scary to you this week? The scariest thing that happened to me this week, Mikey, was waiting in line at the DMV. Whoa. It was three and a half hours. How did it go? How long were you waking? Three, three and a half hours, about. And I arrived at, like... The, the DMV opened at 8. I arrived at like 7.45 a.m. Mm-hmm. Still a line basically out the door. Screaming sure. screaming children, screaming babies, screaming toddlers. So multiple different age groups that we're dealing with with different right. pitches that are both extremely <laughs> shrill on the ears for three hours. Equally bad. People who would just listen to their phones on full volume watching some episode of some weird TV show or just listening to music. And I don't understand how people can think it's socially acceptable to do that in public. That is a psychopath move. Only psychopaths are listening to their phone on full volume in a public space. Yeah, there was a dude sitting specifically behind me once I finally got through the line and then was sitting down in line um, who just behind me was watching some sort of show with like a hushed volume with... The, the volume was up really high, but the guy who was talking, it was some sort of, like, dude narrating stuff. He was talking in, like, a weird hushed voice that was, like, pseudo-ASMR. So it was not only, like, this is rude and annoying in public. I notoriously, like, just can't stand ASMR. It does the opposite. It makes me feel mm. uncomfortable, and I don't like it. So I had this dude sitting specifically behind me. It was just like, I can't move because there aren't any other open seats. What am I supposed to do? Stand up for, like, back in line for two more hours? I don't know. Roxy, I have an ASMR question for you. Okay. Do you think anybody has ever made an ASMR with a jump scare in it? Because that's my fear when listening quietly, softly in bed to somebody rubbing uh, one of those 3D ear boxes. <laughs> that they're just going to be like, like, wait, what is the, a 3D the, ear uh, box? It's <laughs> this is what I, I feel like all the uh, ASMR videos I've watched. There's like a box in front of the camera, and it's got like actual shapes of ears that they're like rubbing, and so it's like what? when they get into the ear, yeah, it's honestly I do love it. I it is very relaxing, and I love it. <laughs> okay, but I'm always worried they're gonna just like cut in, you know, the scream that like Linda Blair makes in The Exorcist. <laughs> I'm like gonna be so vulnerable to it. Has anybody done this? Can I just let this fear go? Um. As far as I know, nobody has done that. I feel like I would have heard about that. Somebody should do that now that you've suggested it, oh, Mikey. God, no. There's plenty of those, like, There's joke ASMRs. About... Have you seen those mm. joke ASMRs where it's like, I know, your where, parents where people fighting are just in a like... room while Baby Yoda eats a hamburger <laughs> right next to you for three hours or something? All right, that's funny. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone made one in that vein as, like, a joke. Hmm. I don't know. That would be very funny if a professional ASMR person just said to pull that one day and fuck with people. I hate it. I'm very scared about it. It's fine. <laughs> so let's see. Doombot already introed us telling us we watched Annihilation, which we both totally watched. Yeah. And now he's sulking in the corner, just like sending us. You ever, you ever like accidentally like 
drip a little water on your cat. <laughs> they like go sit in the corner and they're just like, meow. <laughs> like Demon Bot's kind of like turned away from this and looking kind of canny and just like, meow. I'm getting a meow vibe from him. Yeah, I uh, hopefully he'll come around. I don't know. Most cats do, right? So going with that. Uh-huh. Like, maybe it'll be okay. Time above the line challenge, damn you. I say we continue with a plot summary uh, for the movie Annihilation, Mikey. What do you I say? I love it. All right. Biology professor and army vet Lena is being held captive and recalling her time in a place called Area X. It's a strange place, also known as the Shimmer, for the way it reflects light and it also shimmers. This place showed up after a meteorite struck a lighthouse three years ago and has been expanding ever since. Lena's husband Kane was sent on a mission into the Shimmer about a year ago and was reported as killed in action. There's a funeral and Lena still can't move on from his loss even after a year. However, just when she finally gets the motivation to paint their old bedroom and try to move on, Kane appears mysteriously, just in their doorway. <laughs> he seems different, changed, and unfortunately he quickly becomes sick. On the way to the hospital, Lena and Kane are intercepted by government vehicles and relocated to the outpost outside the Shimmer. Psychologist Ventress, who I thought her name was Benches. I'm going to just say that right now. <laughs> really? Oh, my God. <laughs> Psychologist cool. Benches tells, <laughs> tells Lena that Kane is the only person to ever emerge from the Shimmer. In order to help her dying husband, Lena joins Ventress and three others, physicist Josie, geothermicist Cass, and paramedic Anya on an expedition into the Shimmer. Immediately after entering the Shimmer, the group wakes up in their tents. Three days have somehow passed and none of them remember any of it. Only the rations tell them how much time they've lost. They continue on and see strange plants that should not be able to exist and are then suddenly attacked by an alligator that has mutated to possess shark teeth somehow. Yikes. Later, the group finds the outpost of the last group that was sent in, Kane's group specifically, and there they discover a video of Kane consensually cutting open a fellow soldier to reveal that the soldier's intestines are inside, moving on their own, slithering around like a separate entity inside the man. They then find the man's corpse, which has merged with the wall and mutated, now overgrown with an alien growth. That night, Cass is sadly killed by a bear, and the group finds an <laughs> old settlement. <laughs> it's very it's, It was just very sudden. It's so sudden. That night, Cass was sadly killed by yeah, a bear. Yeah, just instantly, out of nowhere, fucking runs up I on feel, him. I feel like the way you delivered that just now, it was like, we got a newspaper. Yeah, <laughs> we just picked uh-huh. up the headline. It's just, sadly, Cass was killed by a bear. If, if oh, you've ever been playing Elden Ring, it feels like one of those bears from Elden Ring the first time you run into them. It's just fucking riding around and is a force of nature that is just unstoppable and moves just right past you and is doing its thing. Um, oh. But yeah, so after that happens, uh, the group finds an old settlement that is now overgrown with plants, including plants in the shapes of humans. This discovery causes Josie to theorize that everything within the Shimmer is a refracted prism of its normal self, distorted and wildly bizarre... It changes DNA and creates something new from the existing things around it. In this case, it made the plants form into the shapes of humans. Lena has been keeping her relationship to Kane a secret from the others in the group, but Anya, her paranoia finally overtaking her, takes Lena's locket and finds Kane's photo inside, and this sends her over the edge. Lena omitted this detail, and Anya sees this as a betrayal, thinking that Lena is up to something nefarious. As a result, Anya has tied up the group and begins interrogating them. She claims that the bear was made up and that Lena must have murdered Cass. Just then, they hear Cass crying out, help me. (laughs) Anya feels vindicated in her suspicions and goes to help, only to find not Cass, but a mutilated bear that partially merged with Cass in her final moments as it killed her. (laughs) This grotesque mockery of their friend now screams with the voice of its victim. Anya is killed by the bear, and then Josie kills the bear. Ventress tells Mm -hmm. them that she has cancer and came on this mission to finish the job after sending countless others to their deaths in this accursed place. Roxy, this grotesque mockery of their friend now screams with the voice of its victim is a great sentence. (laughs) I just need you to know that. (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate that. (laughs) Really captures Ventress. (laughs) Ventress, also known as Benches, leaves the group to go to the lighthouse on her own. This leaves Lena and Josie, but Josie chooses to let the prism of the Shimmer overtake her instead of letting it distort her further. Choosing acceptance and oblivion 
as she turns into a plant person. Lena is now alone. She's distraught, but carries on to the lighthouse. Outside the lighthouse, Lena finds human remains. And inside the lighthouse, Lena finds a burned corpse and a camera. The camera reveals Kane's final moments, telling a doppelganger of himself to find Lena, and then pulling the pin in a phosphorus grenade to stop himself from becoming further corrupted. Lena is absolutely devastated, knowing her real husband is dead, and the man who came back was something else entirely. A noise then causes Lena to snap out of her grief and descend into the meteor crater in the lighthouse. This crater is the source of the shimmer, the heart or mind or whatever you'd call it. Ventress is here, her face shifting as it tells Lena that she has conversed with the shimmer, that it will encompass and refract the entire world if it is not stopped. Ventress then deconstructs and disintegrates into a strange, multicolored, floating, pulsing, patterned mass. This incomprehensible thing absorbs a drop of Lena's blood and then transforms into a humanoid shape? Fearing whatever this thing will do, Lena leaves the crater and attempts to leave the lighthouse, but the humanoid blocks her way and begins to mirror her movements, strangely. Eventually, she tricks it into holding a phosphorus grenade just as it begins to turn into the exact copy of herself. The grenade goes off and Lena is able to flee. The doppelganger begins to burn and attempts to replicate the fire, not understanding what it is doing as it destroys the source of the shimmer and the lighthouse entirely. The shimmer is now gone. Lena ends her recounting of the tale with the fact that, as she understands it, the Shimmer didn't want anything. It was simply trying to grow and change its surroundings into something new. Lena is then able to meet with Kane, who is stabilized ever since the disappearance of the Shimmer. She asks him if he is really Kane, and he says, I don't think so. When he, in turn, asks her if she is Lena, she is silent. The two hug, and we see that not only Kane, but Lena too have the shimmer in their eyes, and damn, if that isn't the film Annihilation. That is Annihilation. <laughs> wow, what a movie. Yeah, this was intense. I had this movie recommended to me for years. It came out in 2018. I can't believe it took me this long to finally like pull a trigger and watch it. I had the exact same experience. I had heard so much about this movie. People were just like, wow, Annihilation is really, really good. Roxy? Uh-huh? I have some bad news. What? I think I'm the only person that I know of and maybe the only person in the world who did not care for Annihilation. Oh, you didn't. Okay. I feel I feel bad. I, I felt bad. Like, because I was actually watching the movie while you texted me and uh -huh. you were like, Annihilation is rad. I'm so excited for you. And I was like, oh, good. It'll definitely pick up then. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> did not overall care for this movie, which doesn't happen. I feel like I love every movie. It was almost like a bummer. Well, I'm sure there were parts of I it, was, even I, if it's not in its entirety, because it's like a well-constructed, like, made and shot film. Yes. Sure. So. And it's and it's based off of a book, and I do think I would really, really love the book. Yeah. I like a lot of the ideas in this movie, and the scene with the bear is an all-time great scene. Yeah. Like, that scene is worth the price of admission alone. Yeah. Uh, for this movie, I watched for free on, like, Hulu or something. <laughs> it, it That scene is great, and it's a horrifying concept, and it's executed well. These people are tied up. There is a bear with, like, its skull exposed, stalking around, screaming in the voice yeah, of their Yeah, like saying, help me. It's it's awesome. her death throes. And so Tessa Thompson's character sums it up to be, like, the only thing of her that was preserved that stayed behind after she, mm. after she died was pain. And, like, the pain she felt oh. as she died. And she merged. Unbelievable. And then she merged with the thing that killed her as well. And then the thing that killed her is using her own voice to go after her friends. You see, not only is the skull exposed, but on, on one side, it's kind of like a normal looking bear skull, which is still fucked up and <laughs> weird to see anyway. But on the other side, the skull is kind of merging into a half human kind of shape and even has like a mm. human eye that is like disjointed and kind of like looking at them like way too intelligently than it should. Man. It's, it's such a bizarre experience to have a scene that like... I don't know. I've never really had this experience with a movie that like I'm kind of not digging the whole movie. And then there's one scene that's just like, holy shit, this was worth it. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is like uh, like this this centerpiece, this anchor scene that is just like so inspired and so horrifying and sad and emotional and tense. Like, yeah. it, it's a perfect scene. It, it has so many things coming together at once that like when it hits you like in the moment, it's it kind of takes you by surprise and you're like holy shit there's so much going mm -hmm. on there's so much context behind this but it's also like very simply a very tense and scary scene as well 
Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the best scene in the movie, in my opinion, for sure. And I'm glad that you Absolutely. similarly felt that way. I'll, t- I'll tell you my, my major gripe with the movie. Mm-hmm. I think you're right in saying that, like, it's a well-constructed movie. It's got a clear theme. It's got, like, Natalie Portman's arc, I think, is really beautiful. And, like, intellectually, I really connected with this movie. Mm-hmm. The note I took maybe halfway through the movie that I think summed up my feelings on it is that Ex Machina, a movie that is by this same director, yeah. whose name I don't remember. Ex Machina is probably a really good movie because then... The director has a reason to suggest his actors behave like robots. I felt like every performance in this movie was really heady and intellectual and not emotional. And really? It's this bizarre. Yeah. I was like, these people are all like <laughs> having these chilly conversations about ideas and not reacting to like I didn't believe any of these performances and what was what made me really think about this is the fact that natalie portman who played queen amidala in the star wars prequels is interacting with oscar isaac who played poe dameron in the star wars sequel trilogy and i was like oh we got we got star wars past and star wars present this is fun and i was like the acting styles of those two star wars trilogies are so different like the star wars prequels are famously very wooden and the Star Wars sequel trilogy is very, like, silly and bombastic. And they're like, uh, they have jetpacks now? Uh, they have jetpacks now. Like, it's it's a, a, the opposite end of the spectrum. And I was like, oh, they've both decided to go Star Wars prequel style acting, in in my observation. Uh, you, you were surprised by this. What, what did you think of the performances? Um, I thought their performances were very good, especially, like, the scenes of them together. Like, when you see them very happy, it feels very, like, sweet and natural um, and, like, believable, I felt like. And then you mm. see that shift when... We, we didn't talk about this in the summary because it was more, like, complicated, nuanced thing that I figured we'd talk about here. Uh, Natalie Portman, like, mm-hmm. her character cheated on him when he was gone. Yeah. It's part of the whole self-sabotage thing that even though they had a happy marriage and loved each other, he was still like gone, whether he was self-sabotaging consciously or what. But he he finds out and that is the impetus for him going on this essentially suicide mission. Mm-hmm. And you can tell with the shift in like his body language and the way he's treating her because she's like, oh, I thought you had an extra day. And he's like, no. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, OK, well, do we have like a, some time or something? And like he barely even wants to like say goodbye to her, really. And then mm. leaves. And then she, you see it dawn on her face, too, that she's like, oh, he knows. He knows, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was a really subtle thing that, like, they didn't even tell you that's the nuance of what was going on until later. But you kind of, like, get that through their interactions. Mm-hmm. I felt that was very well done. And then uh, when you see, or not see, when you have that conversation with, jeez, oh, what is her name? Cass. Cass and Lena, where she's talking about the death of her kid. Like, she's the most compassionate mm-hmm. person out of the crew. Like, Ventress is incredibly, like, detached and, like, cold mm-hmm. and intentionally. Like, that's the way she is. And, like, everybody kind of in the group is, they've got their own issues that kind of make it hard for them to connect with other people. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of why they would even be in a suicide mission like this in the first place. Right. Um, so that, like, I'd say your reaction to some of this is, like, yeah, that's kind of intentional with some of these guys. But, like, Natalie Mm -hmm. Portman's character, she has to hide the fact that her husband was in here and that's her whole mission. So, like, when you see that scene when they see the video of her husband cutting open another dude from his squad and she has to, like, pretend that doesn't affect her and, like, not let them Mm -hmm. see it. Like, that really got me. I thought that was very well done. And then, yeah, similarly with Cass talking about her backstory about her daughter who died of, I think it was leukemia? Her daughter died, like, as a child, essentially, so she didn't get to live her life. And so she talked about how, like, not only did she lose her daughter, but she lost herself, the person that she was at the time. And I felt like that Mm -hmm. was a very, like, vulnerable, open thing to talk to Lena about. And it felt like that character alone, because she had been a mother, you can kind of tell, like, oh, yeah, she was, like, she was a good mom who just had something bad happen to her, and she was never the same. Mm -hmm. So, like, that instinct didn't go away, and it still kind of felt like she was very much like the emotional heart of the group, if you can even say that, if they even gave enough time for that. I don't know. Oh, I ab- I absolutely jotted that down. Yeah. So like when she leaves, that's when she gets leaves, quote unquote, when she gets taken by the bear and murdered mercilessly. 
just as like an act of fate, an act of chance, like through no fault of her own did this happen. It, you couldn't say it was self-destruction in that case. So she's like kind of punished for no reason, which is another thing that hits home why everybody, why it affects everybody. I would argue you could argue this was self-destruction just again, like you mentioned, like going in there in general, I the guess. The fact that she volunteered for the suicide mission. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing I, I jotted down about Cass specifically is her last name is Shepard. Oh, and okay. she is literally the shepherd of the group. She is leading yeah. them through. She is guiding them. She is like explaining the emotional context. Of course, we're all here because we're all sad and upset and we've all lost. Something. Yeah, like trying to get them to understand each other. And that's what I mean when I say like I connected with this movie intellectually and I never got there emotionally because okay. it, fi- it felt so much like I could see the rivets of it. I was like. You're telling me her name's Shepard and she's the shepherd of the group. And the scene that like, and I do agree, like a lot of the Oscar Isaacs, Natalie Portman stuff, it's like, that comes the closest for me. It still rang a little hollow, but like the scene that like actively upset me <laughs> was maybe three quarters of the way through the movie when they fully reveal, like she has a conversation in flashback with Daniel, the character who is her yeah, this part, yeah. peer at the at the college she works at yeah. and they have this conversation that goes something along the lines of do you think somehow he's found out about our affair <laughs> it's just like nobody talks like that <laughs> and then the one that really got me is when he said uh and it's just maybe it's just this character that i hate <laughs> who is just like so icy and gives this weird robotic roboted performance i didn't know if i was going to say robotic or wooden and it came out robotic hey make it a new word gives this robotic oh. performance he says it's not me you hate, but yourself. Like, I wrote that down verbatim, and I was like, shut up. <laughs> shut up, get out of yeah, here, Yeah, I would say and- his his delivery, especially in that scene, is, like, very awkward. I could see, like, I, I could maybe kind of defend the thing where she, like, pushes him away and walks over and stands by the window, and he's trying to guess why she's upset and why something changed. So him being like, oh, did mm-hmm. did your husband find out? Like, is that why now you're being this way to me and want to end it? Um, but then, yeah, like, the one afterward where it's just, like, completely stating it. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? We his, <laughs> uh, And, I mean, it's not his fault if that's the way the line was read, but I think that th- there's something to be said about wearing your themes on your sleeve and being very over-the-top about it. But then this movie will do things where it will try to be more subtle, like I said about that one reveal, that it's just, like, the characters' faces kind of reveal it. It's not something written. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they do a scene like that that is just, like, <laughs> hitting you over the head with it. <laughs> Yeah, And, like, he, he doesn't deliver it in the best way possible. I think, like, Natalie Portman's reply to it feels more natural because he says this thing that is supposed to be kind of like a gotcha thing to be like, like, I know you better than you know yourself. Look at me saying this cool thing. And she's like, <laughs> yeah, but I hate Shut you, up, too. Dude. Like, she says, like, I hate you, too. <laughs> like, yeah, sure, I hate myself, but yeah. I also hate you. Like, get out of my house. <laughs> fuck you. So I, I think yeah. it didn't stick out as much to me because of her, like, retort afterward to be like, shut up. Like, mm-hmm. you think you're an intellectual yeah. like me, and, like, that's the connection we have, and that's the excuse for why I should divorce my husband? Like, my husband is gone. What about you and your wife? Like, what is... <laughs> he, she even says, like, she brings up the wife, like, your wife doesn't deserve this, like, what's happening to her. Like, I'm selfishly choosing to do this. Your wife doesn't deserve it. And he's like, it's not about her. Or, like, yeah, she didn't deserve it. And it's like, okay, well, what, what's your excuse? <laughs> like, you- then what are we doing? Then what are we doing here? <laughs> The worst character in this so movie. He, Both, like, I would argue, he's the worst character, like, a lot of times we say, like, oh, this character pissed me off because he was such a jerk. It's like, this character was that, but also the actor sucked, and I feel like it was probably the direction, and I was just like, this yeah. this guy is, as much as much as the bear scene ruled, the, uh, the dude she was having the affair yeah. with did not rule. So their first interaction was interesting because you sort of pick up on something weird where, like, Nellie Portman gives mm. her class speech uh or like presentation and then leave which can we talk about real quick this is like this is the exact same scene we've seen in like scream and halloween but it's just like the adult version it almost feels like the christopher nolan gritty reboot (laughs) of the classroom scene where the teacher explains that like theseus says that if we have a ship and we explain and it's like just gives the theme of the movie Mm -hmm. here we get natalie portman and it's lit only from the outside this movie has this big recurring visual style Mm -hmm. where it's like the scenes will only be lit from outside so we get like silhouette the movie (laughs) and natalie portman sits down and she's like cells they divide and then you can't tell what's self-sabotage and what is becoming something it's like we got it here's the theme here's the theme of the movie I liked how, like, serious it took it in the way that, like, Scream was just, like, 
Well, I think it also explains well, like goofy, a huh? specific thing about cells and how they degrade that people might not really realize how like the destruction mm-hmm. of cells is coded into it. Like ultimately they shouldn't degrade and they should be able to keep going, but like they don't. You'd hope. Yeah. So like she's essentially trying to stop a fundamental thing of like how how cells degrade and age over time. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like it's a thematic thing. It's like her drive on like a technical level. And then, yeah, it's information that you might not have known. <laughs> so. But um, anyway, did, did you have anything else you want to say about that or? No. Okay. So like after after that, <laughs> scene, I just didn't want to like step on your toes because <laughs> after I that scene, know. she goes to talk or she is stopped in the hallway by the the friend who she's having an affair with. But you don't know that yet. And he like invites mm-hmm. her over to a barbecue. But first of all, real huh? quick, we knew she was having an affair with him. So you you could tell the first instance of something being weird because at first he comes off as like, oh, he's concerned about his friend who is like not dealing with grief well and is like maybe trying to like mm-hmm. be very careful with her and tiptoe around her because of that. But then like he touches her arm weird, and I was like, that's not mm-hmm. that's not what you would normally do, right? And then like Natalie Portman's kind of like. She's really distant. You could be like, she's still not over her grief yet. But then he touches her arm and it's kind of like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. And also like <laughs> the audacity of this man to just be like, yeah, you should come over and have a barbecue with me and my wife and like sit across from my wife after you also <laughs> kicked me to the curb and said, I hate you. I don't want to do this anymore. Like the audacity of the him On to- every level. Yes. like <laughs> On every level. This is the worst character in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Guy. yeah so she's just like can no. we talk about real quick also this this fact that like this is like the very beginning of the movie and uh, and she's like no i'm gonna go finally paint our i mean my bedroom i was like here we go another grief movie. Uh-huh, uh-huh. we're doing we're doing a grief movie but i will say again i'm connecting to this movie intellectually if not emotionally this movie does have a much smarter and more interesting take on the loss of a loved one yeah, it almost feels like it's... The kind of movies I'm honestly getting sick yeah, of. Yeah, it feels more like it's kind of interrogating the relationships we have with each other. Yes. So it's not so much you, about... You're, you're right. It's not about the loss of this person. It's about, did I cause this person to go? Yeah, and just kind of like how how we affect each other. You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, there there's a song that in the movie that literally says something to the effect of, God, I wish I had written this down ahead of time. Like, well, like, one or one or, like, one or two together... And then there's three or something where it's like, you're an individual, then you become a couple, there's two of you, but then you become one thing mm-hmm. because now you are like a, a couple, you're bonded, your relationship is different, you know, your worldview, the stuff you interact with is going to be changed in some way by that, where it's mm-hmm. like, you've got someone else you can lean on or depend on, or, you know, you're going to be worrying about all kinds of things. Um, so it changes yo, yo, yo. who you big, were. big. Big shouts to uh, my dog, Esther Perel, who hosts the podcast, podcast Where Should We Begin? Oh. Uh, she's a therapist who has awesome. uh, individual th- therapy sessions with couples. Oh. And she's talked about this, this idea that like when you are a couple, there's your needs, there's your uh, partner's needs, and then there's the couple's mm-hmm. needs. And a lot of times people ignore this new third thing that is being built. And you need to. Take a date night. You need to take time to water the plant that is this third iteration of you, yeah. of your relationship. And I think you're right. This movie is absolutely about that and in a way that I think is really smart and interesting. Yeah, because, like, the way that the shimmer functions, it does that on, like, literally a me- molecular level. So it's not even the mm. emotional part of it. It's like a physical manifestation of this thing. Yeah. It's taking aspects of people. Like... Let's talk about the shimmer for a second. It's like a cool idea. Yeah, yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. First of all, it's one of my very favorite lines in the movie. Benches. <laughs> Dr. Benches. She's in my notes as benches. <laughs> I can't believe it sounded like benches to you. I thought like, oh, Ventress. <laughs> really, That's really a cool did. name. It sounds and like she's like, I don't know, from a medieval thing or something. And I will say, every single time they said it, I heard benches. It wasn't just like the first time I misheard it. It was every single time. <laughs> she says, she describes the shimmer. As of, of what it could be mm. when she's trying to explain to Natalie Portman what it could be. She says it's a religious – it could be a religious event, an extraterrestrial event, a higher dimension. It's like a really mm. good list mm-hmm. of like three disparate possibilities that tells us – like you could just say we don't know what it is. Yeah. But the fact that she has three very specific things that it could be is a show not tell of 
we don't know what this is. But one yeah, thing Yeah, and also like thinking me, they considered it and they probably like test it. Like these are the variables they're working with. That's really cool. They're like, could it be another dimension? Somebody's testing for that somewhere. That's great. Right. <laughs> um, one thing that bothered me that they never even raised the idea mm. was what if the shimmer was guerrilla marketing? Okay, Roxy, what if a company had created what if a company had created the shimmer? Okay. And said, Wow, you enter in the shimmer and you can't tell what's real? We'll tell you what's real. The KFC double down is just three ninety five. If you <laughs> can believe it. <laughs> never once is that possibility raised. I don't know what they were thinking, you know, because like it could have been a viral marketing stunt gun out of control. What they should have calculated that, Mikey. What kind of scientists do they got over there if they couldn't even think of those possibilities? Bad scientists who are ignoring. There's a secret the fourth option, capital. just like the fourth meal <laughs> at Taco Bell, Mikey. Did you know? So, okay, let's. <laughs> I love fourth meal. <laughs> this has been a viral let's, marketing let, stunt. Okay, how how would you describe the shimmer? Because it's like an interesting the concept that I looks, felt like or I just like what it does or the everything? way it works, the way it functions, the way it looks like I felt like I intuited it, but I never quite. It's kind of what I love about movies is like it almost feels dreamlike the way that the shimmer is described and the way it functions. It's like it's never tangibly locked down, but it's like, yeah, the pieces of you are influencing it and it's influencing you. So we come across what look like statues of people made out of plants. And it is the idea that the DNA sequence that tells our body how to grow our bodies was reflected reflected in the plants. And it grew plants that had the same muscular and skeletal structures as a person. Yeah, but they're still like, plants. Doesn't... Like it didn't code them into meat or something. They're still plants. Yeah. Damn, it's so interesting, this experience I'm having with this movie, where, like, I didn't emotionally connect with it, but I intellectually connected with it. And then when I think about the shimmer, it's like, oh, emotionally I get it, but intellectually I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I think it keeps it... And I like it a lot. Yeah. I think it's cool. I I think this concept of how they talk about how it doesn't want anything. It doesn't need anything. It's just doing what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And it's not good. It's not evil. It's not malicious. It's not taking joy in this. It's just doing what it does. Uh, They kind of liken it to Mm -hmm. like maybe a cancer cell or something where it's just it's just replicating. It's just doing the thing that it does. It's an element. It's Mm -hmm. but it's also alien. So it like came from outer space and, Mm -hmm. you know, that. They also give it this, uh, like you were saying, this dreamlike quality in just the visuals alone. Like, I can't even imagine how it's described in the books and then trying to come up with visually a way Mm. to represent this. It could not have been easy. And I feel like they did a really good job with it, with the art direction and the visuals that they chose to show. I do want to read the book that this movie is based on. Yeah, I did a little. And I think I'm going to order it on Amazon right now. There is three of them, I will say also. Um, What the fuck? Yeah. All right, I'm out. (laughs) That's too many. There's just Annihilation is Annihilation. You can't tell your story in one book. You can just read the one book. The other two, like, inform it. But you can just read Annihilation by itself, and that's fine, Mikey. You might want to read the others after that is what I'm saying. Um, We'll see. Okay. Well, okay. Mikey sounds really (laughs) excited about this. (laughs) um i will also say that in the books so i haven't read the books but i do know like a little information about how they differ a little uh the characters don't have names in the books they're just the biologist the uh psychologist um that's a cool idea yeah uh which was kind of neat so they did give them names so for instance you're saying like what's her name is shepherd because she's shepherding them like that was a choice that the movie made it was not even in the books that Hmm. way which I, I think them being sort of straightforward with a lot of their theming when they're dealing with, like, this insane cosmic kind of event. I think, like, if you mm-hmm. had been more obtuse or subtle about it, like, I don't know, it would have been too obtuse in general, I guess. What do you think? I mean, that's fair. There's, there's for me, there was a lot of, it, it's such a, a hard line to describe, right? Mm-hmm. This idea of, like, what kind of metaphors are subtle and effective and what kind of metaphors are, like, beating you over the head with it. And it does kind of come down to, like, the shape of our individual brains, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, for me, one line or, – or, I'm sorry, one shot that really stuck out to me was very early on. Oscar Isaacs has just come home 
for the first time. And we know there's, first of all, it feels like a dream when he comes home. It's very cool. Yeah. It does feel very like, I, I was like, she's hallucinating. And then she was like, nope, we're having a conversation in the kitchen. I was like, oh, he's really here, huh? But there's one shot where they are holding hands and the shot is through like a glass of water. Mm. Like she gives him a glass of water and sets it on the table and they're holding hands. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, got it. It's like familiar, but distorted. I was like, I get this metaphor. I see what you're doing. And uh, like, I I was making that like jerk off motion with my (laughs) hand. And it's like, that's a functional metaphor. That's like a pretty good, yeah, (laughs) it's a pretty good visual metaphor. But I was just like, I don't know. Like my brain was just like, that feels a little on the nose. So the the filmmaking style, like, I don't know, I it almost makes me want to, doesn't really make me want to watch Ex Machina. The idea that, like, I don't know, maybe this director just Have you doesn't... not seen Ex Machina? I started it and didn't finish it. Okay, so I will say I did watch all of Ex Machina, and I had a similar experience, I guess, to maybe how you felt about this, where, like, I didn't like it, but I liked the themes it was working with and, like, the potential mm-hmm. it could have been and some of the visual choices I thought were cool. But, like, overall, mm-hmm. I didn't like any of the characters. And mm-hmm. I can't really remember too many other details because, like, when I was watching it, I, w- I was just kind of, like, experiencing it. I wasn't thinking about it too critically, I guess. But I just remember, like, when I came away from it, at the end of it, I was like, yeah, I wish I liked that more. <laughs> Like, normally I would like that more. I love sci-fi. I love androids. I love robots. I love the contemplation of the self. Absolutely how I felt about Annihilation. And it didn't feel like it hit for me. But this Annihilation, it felt like it hit for me. I feel like it it was an improvement. Can can I talk about (laughs) one thing I really, really like about this movie? Sure. There are some details that I truly love about this movie. And I would much rather talk about those than how, like, saying again for the 45th time how it emotionally didn't work. And I mean, it actually did. Natalie Portman plays a scientist and a soldier. And I feel like it's so easy to have a character who is one or the other. Mm -hmm. And I really, really was like appreciative of this idea of a character with multitudes. She is both a soldier and she's an academic. Like I liked that idea a lot. And I really, really loved the specific character detail that turned out to not be a character detail, but just like a, a situational detail. But in the very first chunk of the movie... She is walking around with so many Petri dishes and a little scalpel and taking samples of everything. Mm. And I thought that was so endearing. And I loved the idea of her, like, being the type of person who just, like, no matter where she is, she's taking samples of everything. (laughs) Like, she's just at KFC with her friends. She's just scraping off the sauce of her double down. $3.95 at KFC right now. (laughs) And she's, like, running the samples of it. She just loves collecting samples. Like, I thought that would be very funny. She stops doing it eventually in the movie, and I get well, it. Well, it's but more like she's then I taking blood like samples from herself and seeing her own cells do it. So it's like, I don't need to check the environment for this. I've got all I need right here and can literally check my own blood and be horrified that, by that. You're... <laughs> Yeah, you're exactly right. She all of a sudden starts pricking herself and checking the blood as opposed to, I, I don't know, this very silly, cute little, like, she's got her little tray. <laughs> she's got her little Yeah, there's like, kind of a scene in general where they're all sort of peacefully, like, doing their different disciplines. Like, oh, this one girl's like, I'm going to check the water. Mm-hmm. This other girl is like, I'm going to go check the plants or something. I'm going to check the soil. Which was very cool because it's like, yeah, they had sent in military and like different kind of scouting operations but they hadn't sent as many like scientists because it's like oh you're gonna have this really Mm -hmm. valuable scientist who you can't replace as easily as a soldier you're gonna send them in and also like you know Mm -hmm. you spend the time to debrief them and vet them and then it's just it's a more useful tool to like the higher-ups to discard i guess um Mm -hmm. so sending them in here you know they're basically all a science-based team And they're even kind Mm -hmm. of surprised, like, when that alligator attacks them. And, like, Natalie Portman, like, shifts to soldier mode and, like, crouches down and shoots the thing in the face as it's coming at her, like, not flinching. And, like, that's the first time that you see that, oh, yeah, they need to be prepared to fight. And the others are like, I was, like, trained on a range or something. I was not prepared for Mm -hmm. this. But you were. And you literally stared down the face of this alligator It was as it was trying to eat you. What's your deal? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a very good moment. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to make a character like that, I feel mm-hmm. like, to have two broad strokes. I feel like, again, the archetype of the soldier and the archetype of the scientist are kind of at odds. Yeah. And so to have uh, justifiably brought them together in one character, I think, is pretty effective. Yeah. And I guess we did t- talk a little bit about the visual style, but the shimmer itself is 
rainbow and prismatic, of course. Like, it's very pretty. Mm -hmm. There's something about this that there's beauty in the destruction of the things. Like, aesthetically, it's very interesting. It's very colorful. Mm -hmm. A lot of places, it's, like, kind of aesthetic. Damn, that actually, like, made me think. And I, I don't know, maybe this is getting a little too much into, like, the big idea of the movie. When you just said right now, there's beauty in the destruction of things. Like, I think that's what this movie's about. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, like, an angle of it, for sure. Um, and, like, the way they visually represent it. Especially yeah. because, like, Oscar Isaac's character dies, and the the version of him that went in there is not the version that comes out, and yet still mm -hmm. Lena embraces him at the end, and you can tell she's, like, choosing to live with him, I, I assume, from that, to be right. like, all right, well, even if you're not him, I'm also changed, I'm different. Yeah. So, like, why not? is how it kind of feels. And also it's like nobody uh, else can understand me but you and nobody else can understand you but me at this point. <laughs> can I do my patented long spiel about what I saw in this movie that I think is, it, it's A, big theme, and B, how I think it structurally like really, really sings? Yeah, sure. Let's hear it. I want to hear Here it. Here we go. <laughs> so uh, clearly the big idea of this movie, we get a scene with Dr. Bench's pretty explicitly in the middle of it where she says like there's a difference between suicide and self-destruction mm, mm -hmm. very few people commit suicide but everybody in some way is committing self-destruction be it by drinking by eating too much by uh cheating on your spouses by blowing up the happy marriage and then she looks natalie portman dead in the eye mm -hmm. and i was like really really enamored with this idea this idea of self-destruction and how yeah. it can so often feel and this is why I think the ending of the movie where she's fighting this bizarre humanoid figure that is kind of mimicking her but is, like, trying to become her. This idea that, like, we behave in certain ways sometimes that we're like, was that us? Is that me? Like, uh, honestly, I'll get into my thing. My thing is eating. Like, I will order pizza and eat 75 to 100% of a pizza and just, like, blink and be like, what the fuck did I just do? Like, I didn't realize, like, it wasn't a conscious thought to order pizza. It's just like, that's my vice. That mm. is my, like, that is my self-destruction. And it feels like somebody else was making that choice. And so often I will be flippant with somebody or I will, like, cut somebody out of my life and I'll just be like, why did I do that? Who was that? Who was that who made these choices? And it was this self-destructive part of me. And so we start getting in to this really interesting idea that, like, is it me or is it something else? Is it me or this humanoid shimmer? And the answer is, it's both. It's reflecting into it of you. Like, and I b believe the major change that makes Natalie Portman the hero of this movie, the thing that makes Natalie Portman kind of ascend beyond everybody else and why she's the only person who gets to come out of the shimmer. And even though she gets <laughs> a shimmer in her eyes at the end, she's the only person who gets out and maintains herself is because she accepts that this is me. Mm -hmm. She says, like, she starts mirroring this humanoid's images. She doesn't lose herself. She says, this person who cheated on you was me. This dark thing was me. This thing that's mimicking me is me. I'm reflected in it, and it's part of me, and it's who I am. Even Oscar Isaacs was just like, I am defeated by what happened to me. This, this, uh, this cheating was too much and it's destroyed me and I'm willing to destroy myself to get out of how much his pain is. Yeah, he doesn't even attempt to talk to her about it at all. <laughs> or like even try to own up to the fact that, you know, if I wasn't gone all the time, would she have even done that? The the right. answer is no, she wouldn't have. <laughs> like so he and, knows and that, that like yeah, mythologically <laughs> it's his fault. Mythologically too. that's his character's end too. He doesn't even try to fight against this thing. Yeah. He says, Great, I'm gonna take this phosphorus grenade and I'm gonna end myself. Yeah, and it's like it's on you now, you go find Lena. Okay. And you go find Lena clone. And clone's like, Okay, who <laughs> who's that? And so what I think is, again, intellectually powerful, if not emotionally powerful, and I really, really resonated with this idea that like by accepting this part of herself, accepting that she did this, and going back to Oscar Isaacs at the end of it and saying, I'm different and you're different, but maybe we can be different together. Maybe mm. we can accept these changes in us. Like, this, when you cheat on somebody, 
it changes you. When you eat an entire pizza, it changes you. And to say that wasn't me, that was somebody else, or to give up and say I'm a bad person and I don't deserve to be and I should just take a phosphorus grenade and pull it, like that's not a heroic act. A heroic act is to say, at least by this movie's definition, a heroic act is to say like, this is all me. And maybe together we can figure out what it means to be these new versions of ourselves together. And I'm like talking myself into loving this movie. Good. Right I was going to say, actually. I love all those things. And I think the movie succeeded in doing that. So yeah, do you love it? It sounds yeah. like you love it. Uh, I have ordered the book on Amazon and I'm sure I'll love Rad. it. But I do, I, I don't know. I, I do think this, like, it's a very smart, interesting, like framing, this dis- distinction between suicide and self-destruction yeah. and how they're, they seem different or, or I'm sorry, how they seem the same, but they are actually very, very different. Yeah. And uh, yeah, anyway, that's what I took from it. What did you, what, how, how does this theme bounce off you? Yeah, I'd say basically ex- exactly the same thing you said uh, with the caveat too, that it's like, I think one of the reasons why you can acknowledge or like kind of notice that that is self-destruction, that's not something I should be doing is usually you always know what the right thing to do is or what the better thing to do is, but that doesn't mean you always do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I know I should go to sleep on time. Do I ever do it? Very rarely. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. I know I should exercise more. Do I do it all, as much as I should? No. And, like, that mm-hmm. is a form of self-destruction by, like, choosing not to do these things that you know and, like, mm-hmm. acknowledging that to be like, yeah, I, I I shouldn't eat a whole pizza by myself. Maybe save half of it. <laughs> Maybe give half of it to my roommates. <laughs> Maybe just take them off speed dial. But you're not going to do it until and- something within you or some sort of catalyst of some kind, like, makes you make that choice. It doesn't have or even I would argue like destroying the version of yourself that says I shouldn't be eating the pizza and just being like I'm the type of person who on some Saturday nights eats a whole pizza. The and maybe that's of okay. It. Yes, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. You find this person you love and you talk about them and you see what this new self is. Like I think that's like a really cool metaphor. I think that the, I think this movie effectively does that, and I think it's like a really solid and impactful statement that they're making. Yes, I think so, too. Do I like this movie? Do I like this movie that I thought I hated? I think you do. I mean, I love it. (laughs) It made me happy if you love it. But (laughs) What a a weird experience this movie has been. (laughs) I think that we've talked about this, too, that, like, you can take away something from art that doesn't... The thing you take away from it can be the thing that you love and not exactly the thing that Mm -hmm. gave you that thought or that epiphany. That's true. And, like, you can love parts of a thing without loving the whole of it. You can love the theming, but not... Mm -hmm the way they did things emotionally and like that's totally fine too they call this the annabelle paradox yeah (laughs) annabelle made me think of something really interesting and that movie was not communicating that to me and god bless it yeah which i i would say like yeah that was like the prime example because this movie did effectively communicate these things to you yeah yeah, and and if anything my problem with this movie is that it communicated too effectively i was like yeah i get it uh familiar but distorted through the glass i get it like it <laughs> this movie is communicating too well with me and i'm just like fuck you put some nuance between it and they're, they're like but my this is how i react that's to- what you wanted <laughs> you're like i thought you like wanted that. us to uh, effectively <laughs> tell you about our point of view and i was like no 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 fuck you uh i want you to hate me a little more i want you to hurt me a little more <laughs> make it unclear <laughs> um me and my therapist are gonna talk about this it's gonna be good that's wonderful so <laughs> I'd say, Mikey, do you have a question for me? Boy, do I. All right. Roxy, if you had to be killed by an animal and your mind becomes part of that animal, what animal would you want it to be? Like the the, the things from the movie. <laughs> the horrible bear creature. Like the, like, the, like, the, like the bear thing from the movie. Um, can I be like Tessa Thompson and choose to be a plant person instead? I think you can, yeah. Okay, I choose to be a plant person. I know that's a boring answer, but I don't... That thing, that's probably like the scariest thing I've seen in a movie. If you need to ask me what the scariest kind of monster you can think of, it's that bear thing. Mm. So I can't, my brain can't even think of like, what would be better than that? It's like nothing would be, it would be terrible mm. no matter what. <laughs> so that is it just a preference of ride at that point? So what did you pick, Mikey? <laughs> I, I will say real quick, it's something I just thought of, this idea that they say like, all she left behind was pain. Uh-huh. And it was like... Yeah, that was true before the bear got yep. Like, all she yep. was was this pain of losing her daughter. Like, we got, again, metaphor, we got well, it. Well, in a way, you can, again, okay. like I said, you can see in the way that she reflects with the squad and being, like, kind to them. 
and paying that forward, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, that's true. Like, she doesn't lose that part of herself. But anyway, that's besides the point. That's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> would you merge with a bear, Mikey? What would it be? It would be a rhinoceros. Oh, my God. That's objectively probably more terrifying. How cool would that be to have a giant weapon on your face? <laughs> you just, you can run through various obstacles by charging. As you scream. And Roxy? As you scream. Let, let me tell you. I'll tell you what I would scream. What? I would scream, I am a rhinoceros. So in the moment before I am a rhinoceros. Dead, you would remember that. <laughs> you remember to say that. Just, just to be safe. No matter how I die, be it of cancer or choking on gum or uh, swallowing a lit waterproof firework, I am going to scream, I am a rhinoceros as I die in case I get to refract into a rhinoceros at all. Because I think it would be very funny if a decaying, dying rhinoceros was running around and with my voice went, I am a rhinoceros. I am a rhinoceros. <laughs> People would know it was coming, I guess. It's a warning to anybody who would be run down by it for sure. So, hey, maybe you're, you're thinking about Yeah, I'm thinking of other people, not thinking of the most insane thing I can make a rhinoceros say. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mikey, on a scale of one to nine, how likely do you think the events of Annihilation are to happen? I said a six. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Uh, extraterrestrial stuff hasn't happened in real life, but this uh, specific arc- articulation of what an extraterrestrial coming to life, sure, that could happen. Yeah. But you It's know, extremely different from likely. anything we would see. Like, they make the point about how, like, it's very – not selfish is kind of the right word, but it's not the word I'm looking for. It, it's, like, hubris to think that everything out in the universe would think exactly like we do. Uh, and right. exactly the idea the that an alien would come to come to Earth and and think in our binaries of like conquering or giving us their knowledge, like it would be foreign and we would not understand it. Stephen Hawking's talked about this. Like, if an alien comes to Earth, they'll give us diseases we can't even comprehend. Probably, yeah, before they can even talk, because their biology will be so different. <laughs> yeah. But the the thing that I think is kind of true about this movie, and the reason I gave it such a high score of a six, is that, and this is. Before I talk myself into truly loving this movie, mm-hmm. uh, I think the people being this boring in the movie is how real people might behave in this kind of situation. <laughs> They're just kind of uh, shutting down their emotions and just trudging through and being sad it's in silence. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty realistic. <laughs> <laughs> I could go beat by beat to talk about each character and why I have a different opinion, but I will save that you for could. my thesis statement. Um, so I gave it a nine out of nine because I do agree that we Whoa. all make self-destructive choices, whether those choices control our lives mm. or affect our lives on a large scale, you know, that's going to vary person to person, but who hasn't done a stupid thing they know they shouldn't do and they d- maybe don't <sighs> even want to do. Like, I don't think, I think we're all guilty of that. Um, Roxy, right after I ordered the book Annihilation from Amazon, I also put in my Domino's pizza order. Mikey, we just we literally just yeah. talked about that. You're gonna talk to your therapist about it too. Oh no, I hide it from her. <laughs> hide the pizza, the pizza leavings. Well, if I was there, I would. Yeah, have- we're doing Zoom, and I'm just like pointing my camera away from the empty pizza boxes <laughs> that are in the corner of my room. Well, now I kind of want pizza since we're talking about it. Damn it, Mikey! Uh-oh. You're gonna make me make some bad choices too. Luckily, all these places are closed because we are recording this after midnight. So I'm saved by fate in this case. (laughs) So we made a bet last week, Mikey. Mm -hmm. So our bet was, does the fourth build actor in the end credits survive till the end of the movie? Mm. And Mikey, you said... We had some struggles with this. Yeah. I said yes. I think the fourth build actor will survive. And I said no. And the answer is a little... Um, <laughs> little column A, little column B. Yeah. So there are two sets of credits that they show at the end of this movie. One is kind of like in billing order of kind of like who was the most effectual and like front and center in the movie. Mm-hmm. So obviously it's like the main squad of ladies and Oscar and Isaac. is kind of in the like visual style of the shimmer. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's almost these like, um, to use typograph, typographical, <laughs> typo- typography terms. There you go. It's like display text, right? It's mm-hmm. like, it's not copy text it's not the kind of text that's like good to read that most of the credits are done in it's like artistically designed text and it's listing you know natalie bartman poe from star wars uh somebody else and then in fourth tessa thompson 
Yes. So I think we agreed to go with this one because it was the first set of credits. Because the second set of credits shows, like, mm-hmm. in order of appearance. And then that's also the credits that are on IMDb. So, yeah, it made the most sense right. to go with the thing that came first. So it was Tessa Thompson. We'll just go character. with the one that came first. Yeah. She did die. She she sure did. So that's a point for me. She died by plant. Yeah. <laughs> by self-plant. Self-planting? <laughs> a new form of suicide? Roxy, that puts our total bet score at Roxy with 25, Mikey with 21, Ty with 2. Something will happen at 30. Something. Who knows? God, could be anything, honestly. Yeah. That'll have to be my next week-long investigation, but I think I am not up to that two weeks in a row, so. Roxy, you gotta go home. I, I think, yeah, I think I gotta go home, You too. gotta go home. There's stacks of mail outside your apartment. <laughs> All my packages. Uh, my roommates never check the mail, Mikey. They're just sitting in the elements or getting stolen <laughs> off my stupid. <sighs> anyway, look, there's Demonbot. He's coming over to give me a second to just listen to his voice instead of talk so I can rest for five seconds. Congratulations, you have successfully reviewed Annihilation. For next week, you must review the 1994 film Interview with the Vampire. I'm sorry, Demonbot. Is it interview with the vampire or interview with a vampire? It is interview with the vampire. Trust me, you do not want to get this wrong. The menagerie of monsters that populate the scary basement are nothing compared to the horrors of pissed off Anne Rice fans. (laughs) Roxy, what do you say we make a bet for interview with the vampire for next week? Uh, That would be lovely. Let's make a bet for interview with the vampire. How many vampiric neck bites do you think there will be in interview with the vampire Ooh, so this is a long movie and it's it's got a lot of vampires running around for a long time doing vampire things so i'm going to say there will be 25 neck bites visible on screen okay what about you <laughs> i said roxy i'm gonna say four <laughs> Four. Okay. I have not seen this movie. <laughs> I know very little about this movie. In my head, the, like, the big vampire bites will be big story beats. And so you're not going to keep reusing that story beat over and over, right? Yeah, I man. I'm yeah, four. like, I, I have seen this movie, but it was like on a VHS in high school or middle school. I can't exactly remember when. Mm-hmm. So, kind of like the tone and vibe of the adventure that happens in this movie. <laughs> I, I do definitely have a leg up on you in terms of that sort of number, I guess, to try and guess. Like, yeah. Also, just well, like the length alone is very long. That's fine. I'm a dead man. No. I'm not concerned. <laughs> I can't you need to be winning these pets. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's better if I get to 30. Maybe I die if I get to 30 and you live. So who who knows? Hey, that's possible. <laughs> anyway, we've been talking about a lot of existential dread and existential uh, epiphanies that are Mm-hmm. Good things, even if they might be a little, little scary to confront. But so let's talk <laughs> about what's making us happy this week, Mikey. Uh, what what happened to you this week that made you happy? Roxy, I've definitely talked about pro wrestling as making me happy before. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But I'm crossing new thresholds of professional wrestling. Oh, how so? My favorite pro wrestling promotion, AEW, just did a show called Forbidden Door. Okay. Where they crossed over with New Japan Pro Wrestling, a Japanese pro wrestling organization. Mm. The idea being that, like, there used to be this forbidden door that wrestlers from other companies couldn't wrestle oh, in other companies. Okay. And so they have crossed this forbidden door. And so I was being introduced to all these Japanese wrestlers that I'd never heard of before. And a friend of mine who follows pro wrestling in Japan mm-hmm. shared a link with me for a match that I will share with our readers. Okay. That features two wrestlers, one named Tomehoro Ishii and another wrestler named Katsuyori Shibata. Okay. And Roxy, in real life, Katsuyori Shibata had to retire from professional wrestling because he was hitting people with his head too hard. Wait, really? Yes. In it, the, my, my very bare bones understanding of Japanese pro wrestling is that it is still fake. It is still planned, but they just really fucking clobber each other. Oh, really? Okay. So this match has almost, and I've heard it described to me as like live action anime, where wow, these really? characters are responding with big, excited facials, facial expressions. They're getting clobbered. Yeah, I mean, like all pro wrestling's like that. 
this has this element of them like rearing back like i can picture goku okay. and like energy uh-huh. bursting out of them but like a guy will get hit so hard uh this uh tomohiro ishii he many times he's just like a big stocky dude he'll get hit and he'll just like rear back and <laughs> scream this match is about eight minutes long it's so funny the way they are just like they're both respectful of each other there'll be moments where they like will take a knee and say, like, hit me with your best shot. And they will. And they'll just, like, scream and get up. And then the other guy will kneel down and he'll say, hit me with your best shot. And it's just, like, it's impossible to tell who's going to win. You can kind of start to see, like, a sense of momentum building. But it is just two dudes hitting each other as hard as they can, telling a physical story that transcends language in a very interesting way. Yeah, because I'm assuming it was subtitled, this, this one that was sent to you, correct? No. Or was it not? Oh. No, you're you are just hearing uh the Japanese announcers shouting in Japanese, and you are seeing these two men screaming and telling this story. Wow, with okay. Their bodies. All <laughs> it's right. Very cool. That sounds amazing. I'm very excited about it. Roxy, what's what's making you happy? The thing that's making me happy this week actually has to do with you, Mikey. What? Yeah. So I thought it was hilarious that when I was watching the <laughs> Resident Evil Netflix series, borderline hate watching, which I usually never do, but I made an exception because I was like, I need to see the yeah. entirety of it. I was like, on episode three. Unfortunately, we we both love Resident Evil enough. Yep. That we do ha- we did feel feel a responsibility to watch. Yes. This. And so, like, while I'm watching that, and I'm just like, man, this is so bad. Like, I don't even know where to start with this. Mikey texts me and is like, makes a comment that I'm like, wait a minute. Is he watching it too? And he was. <laughs> you were. Yeah. So I texted you back and then we're just texting back and forth about it. And like, I was ahead of you a couple episodes. So I was like, okay, I'll see how much I can scream about it without giving spoilers. But also some of it was like unavoidable. Whereas like, there's two <laughs> boss monsters in this episode, Mikey. What? <laughs> but like, you're not going to know what that is until you get there. So I'm like, okay, that's big enough. <laughs> It did absolutely make the experience of watching this Resident Evil show much more fun. It, it when did. something bonkers happened. Uh, that we could text each other and just be like, wait a minute, this is ridiculous, right? Yeah, just in all caps. Like, it, it made it a much more enjoyable experience. It made it a much more bearable experience. And it's going to be, it's it's a funny thing. And I'm glad we were able to do that. <laughs> Thank you for yeah, saving me from one. Resident Evil Netflix series, Mikey. That's my thing that made <laughs> me happy good. this week. <laughs> it was a good one. <laughs> so, we're at the end of the show, Mikey. Mm-hmm. But let's let's leave everybody with some fun stuff. How about... We give them some haunted plugs. So, Mikey, mm. where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mikey McCaller. And I'm on Twitch also at Mikey McCaller. Wonderful. And uh, I'm on Twitter as Roxy Polk and also on Twitch as Roxy Polk. Uh, and also, uh, while you're at it, checking out our individual stuff, make sure to give us five stars on iTunes. Five scary stars. Or leave a review or share. Or scare. The podcast with your friends. And as always, don't sign any contracts offered to you by demon robots. It's just common sense, dude. Mm-hmm.